Well, welcome this morning to Faith Life Church. We are people full of faith. We are people full of life. And we are a family or a church. So glory, hallelujah. We've got some really good testimonies, but I want to cover a few announcements before we get into those. Do y'all like the testimony still? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, after this morning's service, how many of you were not with us on Vision Sunday? You were not with us. There's quite a few. You ushers, do you have a card that you can give these people? We have a, a project going that the Lord dealt with Brother Keith about. And um, it's showing us how to pay off this building. I don't know if you know it or not, but um, we do owe for this building. And we're going to be doing a lease purchase on it and purchasing it in November. And, uh, and kind of tuck your toes under your chairs just a little bit. But I think when we come out of here, there's going to be some answers to some questions and some solutions to some problems. Are you all excited about that? Ever since Keith and I have been married, which has been over 25 years, um, We've learned a lot about marriage the hard way. You know, um, we grew up not really studying the Bible a whole lot. But, um, you know, God will have mercy on you when you don't know much. But the more you grow, the more he expects of you. So um, we, we got married and I began to study about the subject of marriage. Because I thought, I don't really know a whole lot about marriage. Somebody I was talking to the other day, a man, and he was asking me, he says, you know what? I just don't know women at all. You know, well, what man does? <laughs> amen? I knew I'd get some amens about that. And and what woman really knows a man? You know, one time I was studying about it, and I looked up what marriage was in the Bible, in the dictionary. Y'all want to know what it says? The act of being married. <laughs> now, that helps you a whole lot, doesn't it? You want to learn the definition of something you got to find it out from God, not from the Webster's Dictionary. So turn with me today. We're going to just get right into it to Ephesians 5.33. And hold on to your seats and buckle your seatbelts. And don't get your feelings hurt till we get to the end, okay? At least wait till we get to the end before you get your feelings too hurt. I'm trying a new Bible out this morning, so y'all bear with me. It's my new Amplified because I like reading out of the Amplified. So... Especially for this kind of stuff. We'll read it out of King James and then I may hit some high points from the Amplified. So it'll take me twice as long to turn because I'm going to turn to two of them. I am excited because there's nothing worse than a bad marriage. Absolutely nothing in the world worse than a bad marriage. But then on the flip side of the coin, there's absolutely nothing better than a good marriage. Because... In marriage, you have, you have two people. One can put a thousand to flight. Two can put ten thousand to flight. And if you can be in unity, I mean, the whole world can come against you. But as long as you know you have the support of your mate, you can conquer anything. Is that right? But most people don't know about that. Because most of the time when a trial and test comes, you don't get the support of the other one. So let's find out how we can fix some of that. Okay, let's read in Ephesians 5. And I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing, then I'm going to focus on one verse of it. Okay, women, hold on to it. Buckle your seatbelts here. Y'all ready? 522. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, 
even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, and he that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it, he cherishes it, even as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, and of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now verse 33 is what I want you to get. We read all that to get to this. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, you know, in the body of Christ, if there's two things that is the funniest thing to me is husbands don't want to love their wives and wives don't want to respect their husbands. All the other versions that I read said, uh, the RSV says, however, let each one of you love his wife and himself as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, if you had to pick one thing that men didn't like to do, how many men in here, it's your first thing that you just love to cuddle all the time and hug up to your wife and hold hands and be mushy all the time? There's one. We got one that we may need to pray through about. <laughs> There's a couple. No, I'm just kidding. But there is a couple that, uh, you know. But as a rule, the overall general rule is men don't like emotional things too much. The lovey-dovey, lovey Valentine type thing too much, right? But why did God say men love your wives? Because that's the area that they need to work on just a little bit. Then the second area, what does it tell the women to do? Respect their husbands. Have you ever been in a situation, I know I've been in lots of them, where um, the husband is telling a story and he's getting it just a little bit mixed up, and um, or a lot mixed up, and the women are laughing. And the wife will say, no, 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 let me tell it. You're not telling it right. Is that respect? Does it really matter what the story meant? Which is more important, your example that you're setting around the people that are around you or the respect that you'd be giving your husband because he got the date maybe off by a couple of days? Do you see what I'm saying? Well, let's find out what Zipporah did. Y'all figured out who Zipporah is yet? Years ago, I was reading in the Bible, and I started reading at the beginning. And I thought, I'm going to find out. I bet it's been 20 years ago. I'm going to find out. About Zipporah. And, uh, but before we turn to Zipporah, I'm going to turn there, but I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 7. People say, why do so many people have trouble when they get married? Let's find out what Paul says about it. Y'all want to know what Paul says? Turn to 1 Corinthians 7. Art thou bound unto a wife? Verse 27. This would do some people good right here. Just this verse. Just this first part. 
Are you bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. You know, in today's society, it's real easy to seek to be loosed if you have a little spat about something. I mean, how quickly can you get a divorce these days? I mean, it, like it's not complicated at all. It's harder to get married than it is to get divorced. You know, and that's not a good thing. It's too easy just when you have a, a little disagreement about something just to go say, and I, I'm going to leave and I'm going to file for a divorce. Well, the Bible says, are you bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Are you loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if you marry, you hadn't sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hasn't sinned. But read the next part. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. I spare you. Now, what's Mr. Paul saying there? Well, let's read it out of the Living Bible and see if you can understand it a little better. Here's the problem. Listen to it real carefully. We Christians are facing great dangers to our lives at present. In times like these, I think it best for a person to remain unmarried. Of course, if you've already been married, don't separate because of this. But if you aren't, don't rush into it at this time. But if you, if you men decide to go ahead and get married anyway, it's all right. And if a girl gets married in times like these, it's all right. However, marriage will bring extra problems that I wish you didn't have to face right now. Now, does anybody believe that? All these single people are screaming, 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 let me get married because they think it's going to fix all their problems. But they don't know when you get married, you get not only got your flesh to deal with, but you got their flesh to deal with. And that's what it's talking about. It's talking about a flesh issue. It's talking about people that are yielding more to the flesh than they are to the spirit. Let's find out who Zipporah is. Turn with me to Exodus. Can y'all say Zipporah? <laughs> Zipporah was a messed up lady. She really was. Zipporah was Moses' wife. Now, isn't that just really funny that everybody knows who Moses is, but nobody knows who Zipporah is? You know, in the Bible, I was reading through and I was trying to figure out exactly how many women's names were actually mentioned in the Bible. And if you start really reading, it goes, and such and such wife's. Such and such is wife, and such and such is daughter, and such and such is handmaiden, and such and such is this. And a lot of times on the women, they didn't even bother to give their names. You know, when we get to heaven, there's neither male nor female. Glory, hallelujah. But anyhow, it did tell her name. But how many of you even knew it? Very few people even knew who Zipporah was. But now she was Moses' wife. Now, a lot of women would take offense to that today. I remember when Keith and I worked at a Bible school, we were um, there together all the time. And Keith was constantly up in front of people. I mean, he was always up in front of people. And uh, I was there, but I was never up in front of people because I never liked to be up in front of people. It would suit me just fine if I was never up in front of people. I mean, if I had my rathers, I wouldn't be. But Keith says, Phyllis, you love those people, you know, and, and that, that you can help them. And I know you, you want to help people. And that's the reason that I would get up in front of people is because I like to help people. I like to see people to where they're not hurting. I don't like to see people hurting. And uh, so um, that's why you put your flesh under and do things you don't want to do. But anyhow, um, constantly people knew who Keith was. 
He was speaking at school and he was speaking at this and he was traveling and speaking and he was on Brother Copeland's show and he was on this show and he was on that show and he was on this thing and he was this. And where was Phyllis? Nobody even knew my name. Most people called me Mrs. Keith. (laughs) Now, you know, most people in today's society think that the woman's role is to be as equal of a head of the house as the man is. But, you know, a, a good friend of ours constantly says, a man of God that we respect highly, anything with two heads is a freak. And that's true. God is our head, and we just read in Ephesians, underneath God is the husband. And underneath the husband is the wife. God gave women, the women, you'll like this. He, he made Adam, and uh, he said, Adam can't make it by himself. He's got to have a woman to help him. Read that in Genesis. If you don't believe me, read it in Genesis. It says Adam's got to have some help. Some will give him a woman that can help him, right? So let's read about Zipporah and see. She's right after Genesis. It's just in Exodus right here. So let's see what happened to her. All right. Moses is working for Jethro, which is um, Zipporah's father, his father-in-law. Verse 21 of verse 2 of chapter 2. Excuse me. Let's start there just for a minute. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter, and she bare him a son. They called his name Jeshurun, for he said, I'm a stranger in the lands. Now, I don't know if you know what happened after that, if any of you have read very much of Exodus. But if you'll see in verse 2, it talks about the burning bush. And all of us know about the burning bush, that the bush burned and it wasn't consumed with fire. And Moses turned and looked at it. And the Lord was speaking to Moses out of this. And um, in verse 6, it says, uh, moreover, I am the God of thy father, Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen your affliction, the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of the taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good land, a land large, unto the land flowing with milk and honey, unto a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the whateverites, Jebusites. So what's going on here? God's dealing with Moses very strongly about some things, right? Okay? You see, this is a very important time. The Lord appears to Moses through a burning bush. Now, that's spectacular. That's miraculous, right? Okay, verse 11 It goes on to say, um, Moses argues with God just a little bit. And he says, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he and the Lord reassures him and says, certainly I'll be with thee. And he says to they go on back and forth. And in chapter four, verse 10. I'm not, I can't read all this to you. We'll be here all day. But verse 10, Moses is still arguing with God. And he says, I'm slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. And I can't do it, Lord. I'm not capable of doing this. I don't have the wisdom to do this. I don't have the smarts to do this. And I'm just a, a low man and I don't know how to do this sort of thing. I can't do this. You see that, right? Okay? If you don't see it, go home and read it because it's very interesting. And it will show you what happens when God asks you to do something and you argue with him about it. Look at verse... 14. God said, that's okay, Moses. I've got lots of people that'll do it for me. And um, I won't be upset about it. We'll find somebody else to do it in verse 14. Is that what he said? 
What did God tell Moses? The Lord's anger was kindled against Moses. Do you think that God doesn't know? Go back up here to verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, Who made man's mouth? And who made him dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? So in other words, if you, if you can't speak, Moses had a speech impediment, he thought. And he stuttered. And he felt like he couldn't get up in front of people and talk. I feel that way sometimes. But God doesn't ask you what you think about what he's called you to do. He already knows what you are and who you are and what capabilities you have before he says do it. And he appeared to Moses in this burning bush. And Moses is arguing with God back and forth, back and forth. And Moses is like insecure deluxe. Do you see that? I mean, he is he is very, very insecure. And verse 20 The Lord tells him to go back to Egypt. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set him on an ass. And he returned them to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod in his hand. And then it goes on to tell about what Moses was doing. And he's still trying to believe God to have the strength and the wisdom to do what God has called him to do. Have you ever been there, guys, as the Lord told you to do something and you feel like you can't do it? feel like you're so inferior and you can't do it what would a little support do for you at that time what would a little encouragement do for you at that time well let's see what Zipporah did his helpmate his helper that God sent him okay I want to read it to you out of the amplified so that you can get a clear picture of it because it does what it says it amplifies it and uh, we're going to go to um, um, verse 24 Along the way, at the resting place, the Lord met Moses, and he sought to kill him. Now, that's an uh, amplified version of it. He, his protection was taken off of him because he didn't do something that he was supposed to do. And so the Lord was able, the devourer was able to get into him. Okay, and it says, and it sought to kill him and made him acutely and almost fatally ill. Now, this is Moses we're talking about. He's going through all this stuff. God's dealing with him. And what does the devil do? He attacks him in body and he's sick. Okay? So he's having to deal with everything that God has dealt with him to do. And then he gets sick on top of it. And verse 25. Now apparently he had failed to circumcise one of his sons. His wife being opposed to it. But seeing his life was in danger. Zipporah took the flint of a knife and cut off the foreskin of her son. And cast it to touch Moses' feet. Now, do you get the picture here? Moses is trying to do his very, very, very best to do what God called him to do. He's trying to hear from God. He's spending extra time. You know you are. If God appears to you in a burning bush as you walk out of this building this morning and says, Look, I want you to go to Guatemala and I want you to minister to those people. And you're going to take my word to them and you're going to deliver them. And you're going to bring them out of there. And you're going to have to do this and you're going to have to do that. And uh, you feel like you've never been up in front of people before. You feel like you have a speech impediment. You feel like you're very insecure. And then on top of that, you get some kind of sickness uh, to the point of death. And you look to your wife for support. And what does she do? It says, God told him to circumcise his son. And what did she say? I'm opposed to it. Has there ever been a time in your marriage 
When you feel very strongly that the Lord has dealt with you to do something. You as a man, the head of the house. And your wife has been opposed to it. Now, women, bear with me. I'm going to get to your part here in a little bit. Just bear with me. With me. Do you understand what, what's happening here? Moses is trying to do his best to do what God told him to do. He's trying to hear from God. He's trying to serve God. He's trying to get built up himself. All the while, his wife is arguing with him. You know they had to be arguing. I mean, you don't have to read too much into the scripture here to say that they were arguing about it because he didn't do it. If he'd have done it, he wouldn't be at the point of death. But he didn't. He listened to his wife and she led him astray. So he almost died. So she, let's go on reading in verse 25. She threw it at his feet and she said, surely a husband of blood you are to me. And when he had let Moses alone, To recover, Zipporah said, a husband of blood you are to me because of the circumcision. Now, it wasn't bad enough that he was at the point of death. She circumcised the son, and he's trying to recover, and she's still doing what? She's still arguing with him. She's still going back and forth. And um, let's see where that next verse is that I want you to see. The next parts of it here, you see, they, they argued, they argued, they argued. And um, then the Lord dealt with Moses. If you'll read, read the first sentence in chapter 6. The Lord said unto Moses, verse number 13, follow along with me. I want you to see this. And the Lord spake unto Moses, verse 13, chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, and verse 17 of chapter 7, thus saith the Lord... And chapter 8, verse 1, and the Lord spake unto Moses. And chapter 9, and the Lord said unto Moses, verse 1, and verse 13, and the Lord said unto Moses. And chapter 10, verse 1, and the Lord said unto Moses. And you get the picture, and the Lord said unto Moses, verse 21, and chapter 11, verse 1, and the Lord said unto Moses. And if you look at... If we can find it here, I changed Bibles on myself here. Um, I don't want to lose my place here because this is the most important part. Um, I know it's here. As you see, he was going on and all these things were happening with him. And this is where he went to Pharaoh and he got all the... Um, Plagues on the land, you had the plague of the the frogs and you had the plague of the lice and you had the water turned to blood and you had the darkness and the hail and the boils breaking and you had everything going on in the miraculous things of the Lord and the Lord speaking to Moses. And then chapter 18 is what I want you to see. Miracles are happening every day in Moses' life. Chapter 18, verse 2. Y'all know the story of Moses. If you didn't, you probably learned it in, in Sunday school when you were a little boy and girl. 
Verse 2 out of the Amplified. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, back to Moses after he'd sent her back to her father-in-law. Do you get it? All these things happen. And what happened after that circumcision issue, we find out about in chapter 18 here, verse 2. It says, Then Jethro, which is his father-in-law, Moses, father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after Moses had sent her back to her father. So you get the picture. Here's Zipporah, and she and Moses are having spats, and God's dealing with Moses to do stuff. Have you ever wondered why your husband got up and went someplace without you? Have you ever wondered why that um, he just didn't want to be around? You have to watch about becoming a Zipporah. Keith talked Friday night about judging. Do you know whether the Lord told him to do that or not? Were you in his mind when the Lord told him to do whatever he's dealing with him about? Is it okay for you to be a Zipporah? When a man needs the help, there's, there's two things in my mind's eye that is in, I'm not a man, but I am married and I do have a husband and, and we do talk about these things, believe it or not. And, um, before we do that, read, read verse 33. I'm going to read it to you out of the Amplified. Turn back there to, um, Ephesians 5:33. And if you don't have an Amplified, ladies, read this out of an Amplified someplace. Get it written down. Get it drawn up in pictures and, and read it. However, let each man of you without exception love his wife and his wife being in a sense his very own flesh. And let the wife see that she respects, reverences, that she notices him, that she regards him, that she honors him. That she prefers him, that she venerates him, that she esteems him, that she defers to him, that she praises him, that she loves him and admires him exceedingly. Now, all it told the men to do was to love us. And that's a job for him, I'm telling you sometime. But it told us, now God, if I had to say, now I have... Absolutely no way of knowing 100% on this. But I would say God was probably a man. Okay? And he probably knows men's nature pretty well. And he probably knows that men need to be encouraged. And he probably knows that men probably need respect. And what happens so many times is we as women, and I'm going to put myself in the same boat... Say the first thing that comes to our mind sometime. We'll spit out something and then ten minutes later we'll regret that we said it. But there's something about a man that that sticks in their heart. And it gets down in there just a little bit. And you'll never know it by looking at them. They'll walk out the door or they'll go cut the grass or they'll do this or they'll do that. And you'll never know it. But they lost some respect for you because you didn't respect them. 
And most women are looking for a place of love with their husbands. But in order to have love, you have to have respect. There's no way to have love without respect. And that's the title this morning, Love and Respect. If women will respect their husbands and give them the place that God has called them to, then men will step out and do what God has called them to do. And I know it's quiet in here, and I know some people probably disagree with some of the things that I'm teaching about, but the thing about it is, I didn't make this up. You've got your Bibles there. You just read it for yourselves. And that's what the problem is with today's society. I told Keith the other day, I was watching TV, and I got more and more aggravated. We don't have much time to watch TV, and I usually watch Disney Channel. Now, if you walk in my house, 98% of the time it's going to be on the Disney Channel or the Weather Channel. One or, one or the two of the others. And every commercial that I saw almost made my blood boil. Do you know that what today's society is doing to the male role model of our society? It is depicting them as some weakly, no-brain, lousy, lay-around-on-the-sofa-can't-do-nothing type husband. Every commercial that you see on TV, the wife is putting the husband down. Like the husband doesn't have enough smarts to watch the kids while the wife goes to JCPenney's or Sears or whatever the sale is. He can't watch the kids for 15 minutes while the wife goes to the store. He doesn't have enough smarts to be able to do that. I mean, they depict him as a beer drinking, belly poking out, laying on the sofa, no good man. And men are not that way. I take offense to that because my husband is not that way. I'm a little prejudiced. I think I have the best. I know Laurel over there would probably argue with me, but I do. I think I have the best. But we as a society, women, Christian women of God, have got to turn this role around. It's not okay for us as women to do what the world does to their spouses and to their husbands. We've got to set the example before them. You don't get in a room with a bunch of other women that are putting their husbands down and put your husband down. You'll never see me do it. And I'm not bragging on myself. It's just not Bible. There's absolutely no way that you can find respect and you go into a friend and tell them all the little details that went on with the spat with your husband. There's no way that a man will ever respect that. He'll never respect you if you pick up the phone and every time something happens, you've got to tell somebody about it and spill your guts to some other person about what's going on in your marriage. I stop people a lot of times. They start telling me about the problems in their marriages and they start telling me about what's going on in their marriage and sometimes I'll just stop them instantly because I know if they'll just sit under the word a little bit, they'll grow, things will change and then they'll regret having told me what they did. They'll be too embarrassed to face you. So we as women have got to set another role for the world. We can't go on this role with them that makes it look like our strong, godly men are beer drinking, sofa laying, lousy, no good, don't know how to fix anything. I mean, they've got the women on every commercial fixing everything around the house. The men doesn't have enough smarts to do it. I want you all to notice the commercials that you sit there and watch. It's like... This whole entourage of things that the man's not smart anymore. He's not the head of the house. That the woman has taken that role as the head of the house. And it's not an okay thing. And we're feeding that to our children. And we wonder why we have children that grow up wondering if they're a man or a woman. 
Because they've got women that are doing the men's role and men that are doing the women's role. Because the women are taking control of the houses. And that's not okay with God. When you get to heaven, when Zipporah gets to heaven and she looks at the Lord and he says, Zipporah, what happened there? That's not going to happen. He's going to look at Moses and he's going to say, Moses, you were the head of that house. I made you the head of that house. You're the one in control of that house. You chose to do what your wife said and not what I said. He's going to, Moses is going to talk to the Lord about it. Not just Zipporah, but Moses is going to answer to the Lord for it. Because he gave in, he caved in to his wife. And you know, in today's society, it's easier to give in and cave in than it is to stand for what God's told you to do. Many men are, are to the point where it's not worth it anymore. It's not worth the arguments. It's not worth the, fi- worth the fights. Let her do what she wants to do. And I'm not here telling you that I'm a perfect wife. We're going to get to the wife part in just a minute. But this is a problem in our society today, you guys. It's a real problem that women don't know their place and that men don't know their place. And we, as a church family, we are a church family. Just like Keith would be the daddy of the church and I would be the mother of the church, we're going to try to lead you in that role. And Keith is not. I don't know. The singer saw this the other night. This will make y'all laugh. We were here, and I said, they, they're laughing already because they know what I'm going to tell. We were here, and I sit down here during music practice, and Keith is constantly looking at me. What do you think? What do you think? You know? And uh, he didn't ask me this particular time. I just butted it in. I said, that's too fast. You know? He didn't ask me anything. And I just said, that's too fast. And they all started laughing. And uh, he said, well, see if you like this as well or something. What did he say? See if you like this as well. And uh, he played it slower. Do you get the point? He has to be in control. He doesn't do what Keith wants to do. He doesn't do in this church what Keith wants to do. He doesn't do in our family at home what Keith wants to do. He does his very best to hear what God tells him to do. And then put implements it into our family and our lives. And you as men, you can't just depend on your wife to pray for you. And to hear from God for you. It wouldn't be alright for Dave to have a situation that he's dealing with in his business. And him send Kim in the closet and say, Kim, pray and get us an answer for this. That's not okay. Because God made Dave the head of that house. And he needs to hear from God for himself. Not from any woman, not from anybody, but God directly. He didn't put the woman to hear from God for you. He put you as the head of the house and you're supposed to find out what you as a family are supposed to do and implement it into your family, into your life, into your kids, into every part of your being. She thought this was her child. This is her son. You go on reading about it later and you read this story. I encourage you, especially, you know, if you're having any troubles in marriage. It talks about later on it keeps calling them her sons. Don't even call them Moses' sons. Says her sons. Well, he had to be in there somewhere. So she's decided that these are her boys and she's going to do what she feels is right to raise them. And doesn't even let Moses say what the Lord's told him to do. Do you get the picture of them? It's not an okay thing. Men, it's not an okay thing for you to let your wives lead your family around. 
and uh, you just submit to them. That's not an okay thing. We've got to have godly men that represent God properly to the rest of the world that's putting these commercials out that they don't have enough sense to get up off the sofa and do something. Can we do that as godly men? Okay, let's turn and let's find out about another one that you ladies are going to like a lot better. Y'all are too quiet. See, y'all didn't like that too much, did you? I thought the men would for sure be saying amen by now, but they're, they're not. So let's turn to... Um, First Samuel. All you men tell your wives you love her. Turn to First Samuel. Y'all find it. I'll find it in two Bibles, so I'll give you plenty of time to find it. First Samuel chapter twenty five. And let's see about another situation here that will pull us women out of the hole just a little bit. Everybody found it? 1 Samuel 25, verse 10. Let me catch you up just a little bit to what's going on. Um, Saul has died, and David is in the process of learning and becoming king. And he's out in the wilderness. And uh, some of Nabal, which is a very, very wealthy man of that time, men are out there, and he's protecting him, and he's keeping anything from happening to him. And uh, so he decides, well, we've been out here in the wilderness, and he hears about Nabal, and he's got all these sheep, and he's got all these. Read verse 2. And there was a man in um, Maon whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the man's name was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding. That means she was smart, in case y'all are wondering. And a beautiful countenance. But Nabal, the man, was churlish and evil in his doings. And he was of the house of Caleb. I'm going to read you verse 3 out of the Amplified so you get a clearer picture of it. The man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful. And the man was rough and evil in his doings. So does that give you a picture of the man? He was rough and evil. So David sends to Nabal. And um, he asked him, you know, for some goat and some sheep. And and, um, sends one of his men to ask him in his behalf, you know, to help feed him and, and these sort of things. And here's Nabal's response. Verse 10. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who's David? And who's the son of Jesse? There were many servants. Now in a day's at that break, every man from his master. So then I will take my bread and I will take my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shears. And I will give it unto men who I don't even know who they are. So that's Nabal's answer to David. He says, who are you that I should give you anything? Who's the son of Jesse that I should give him anything? And then word got back to David. And look at verse three, 13. And David said unto men, his men... Gird ye every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword. And David was also girded with his sword. 
And there went up after David about 400 men. And 200 of them abode with the stuff. So what's happening here? They're fixing to get slaughtered. David's taking his armies. David, I would presume, was a very good swordsman. And his armies that were with him were very good. And he's taking these men up to kill Nabal and his household. But, verse 14, one of the young men told Abigail. Now, who's Abigail? Nabal's wife. Saying, behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on him. In other words, he he wasn't very nice to him. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, neither missed, We anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us both night and day. And all the while that we were with them, keeping our sheep. And therefore know, therefore know and consider what thou wilt do. For the evil is determined against us and our master and against this house and all that he has. And our man is like the devil. So do you get the picture? This man has come. He's asked for some, David's asked for some things of Nabal. Nabal's refused it. So the word gets back to Abigail. And then let's see what Abigail does. Verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed and five measures of parched corn and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes and figs and laid them on asses. And she said unto her servants, go on before me and behold, I've come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And it was so as she rode on the ass, she came down and by a covert in the hill and behold, David and his men came down against her and she met them. And David said, surely in vain, have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness so that nothing was missed and of all that pertained unto him? And he hath not requited me. He has requited me evil for good. So and more also do God unto the enemies of David. If if I leave of all that pertain unto him by morning, any that I won't read that part, I'll let you read it. And when Abigail, in other words, any men, children. And when Abigail saw David, she hastened and she lighted off the ass before David and found it fell on her face. And she bowed down to the ground and she fell at his feet. And uh, she said, upon me, Lord, upon me, this iniquity be. And let thy handmaiden, I pray, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaiden. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man as the devil, even Nabal, for his name means so. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I am your handmaiden, and I saw not the young men of my Lord whom thou didst send. So in other words, Abigail's fixing it up, isn't she? She's taking care of what her husband messed up. And in verse uh, 32, David said unto Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel which sent you to me, and blessed be the advice, and blessed be thou which has kept me this day from shedding blood and from avenging myself with my own hand. And then verse 36. Now here's a wise woman. All that was wise, but this is really, really wise. Look at verse 36. Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he had held a feast in his house, like the feast of the king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. Wherefore, she told him nothing, lesser more, until the morning light. 
But it came to pass in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, and his wife told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became a stone. And it came to pass about ten days after that the Lord smote Nabal, and he died. So what my point in this morning's story is, you can go one end of the spectrum or the other. You can have a a mean man that doesn't want to do what the Lord's directed him to do. And he can try his best to be mean and evil. And the Lord will take care of you. I know me as a woman. um, It'd be real hard for any person in here, any person that I know of. My daddy's sitting right there. And if one person messed with me, he ain't a big man, but you want to see his tail feathers ruffled. You start messing with one of his three girls. Do you understand what I'm saying? You get my point. There ain't a man in this society that's going to get by with mistreating his wife. He may not answer for it here on this earth. But that little lady has a daddy. And his name is God. And you don't mess with God. What happened to Nabal within 10 days? He died. There's not ever a case with today's messed up society that it's all right for a man to hit a wife. It's not. I know it happens. And I know some women do their very utmost best to provoke their husbands to do it. I know I had this one friend, bless her heart. Her husband told her when they got married, he said, the only thing I ever ask of you is not dye your hair red. It's the only thing I ever ask of you. I kid you not, they had a fight one night. She goes to her friend's house and she comes back the next day and her hair is fire engine red. Now, what is that husband supposed to do at that point in time? What options does he have? You understand? He's asked her not to do it. He doesn't have a lot of options. He just needs to be quiet, probably. But that didn't happen in this case. He whacked her one. Well, that's not okay. It's never okay. And most of the time, in the many years that we've been doing ministry stuff, women that come to you and say they're being abused, they're being beaten, most rarely, now you're hearing me, most rarely is that the case. I've gone in homes where the woman has been beaten so bad she couldn't see. I've taken women to the hospital they've been beaten so bad. And they refuse to tell you who did it. You know who did it. There was the only person there. And I kid you not, the next morning they're getting out of the hospital and begging you to take them home, back into it. So all these women that are hollering that their husband's abusing them, you might want to check it out twice. Because most women that are really, really getting abused, you have to pull it out of them. You have to begin recognizing the signs that they're being abused. But now, men, if you're not man enough, Keith has a saying, he'd like to put the men that hit their wives in a room with a man bigger than them and see if they can't control their temper then. There's two things that God requires of us as husbands and wives. Number one, 
men to love your wives. Now, to love your wife means to cherish her as yourself. That doesn't mean that you get to do everything that you want to do. You're married now. That means that you do need to take part in what your wife wants to do. That means that you do need to, if it doesn't matter and you didn't hear from God on it, give in every once in a while. Love her. Treat her her with respect. It says to treat her with respect and honor. And women, if you want to stop having marriage troubles, quit doing like I did the other night and telling your man what to do. It's not an okay thing to always be telling your husband what to do. He needs to hear from God for himself. And what happens so many times when you're telling him all the time, he won't take the time to hear from God for himself. Because when he gets to heaven, whether he did it or not, he's going to answer for it. And I wouldn't want to be in some men's shoes. My husband is very, very strong. We have a wonderful marriage relationship, but it didn't come without test and trial. I, I, it's like um, John Osteen said one time. He said, we've had 13 years of wonderful married life. Just bliss, heaven on earth. He said, 13 out of 26 ain't bad. <laughs> That's John Osteen. Everybody knows who John Osteen is. I mean, everybody's going to have tests and trials. It's what you do with them and how you overcome them. So, ladies, let me encourage you. If I can do anything this morning, remember the word respect. Respect your husband. Respect his place. God put him in that place. You married him. You must have thought he did something right. And women, I mean, men, love your wives. Take time with them. Spend time with them. Don't just, you know, go golfing and forget them all day long. If they've been there with the kids all week long, give them some time to themselves. Love them just like you'd want yourself loved. If you come in from a hard day's work, you want to lay on the sofa and rest a little bit. Well, she's had a hard day's work too. You might help her with the dishes or you might help her with something. Can we do this? Can we set an example for the people that are not doing these things? If you're having marriage troubles, there's two things I'd like for you to do. I don't want you just to say, okay, brother and sister Moore, would you counsel with us? Because, you know, y'all have been through it. First off, what I'd like for you to do is every day begin reading that song that he just sang, 1 Corinthians 13. Read it out of the Amplified. Read it to each other. Every day. Read the love chapter out loud to each other. Even if you don't have marriage troubles, troubles, that's a good way to start. Keep from having them. Read 1 Corinthians 13 out of the Amplified. If you don't have an Amplified, borrow one from somebody and read it. Then the other thing, reason that people have a lot of marriage troubles is because they're too stinking carnal. You can't live in the flesh like Paul told us in Corinthians. They have trouble because of the flesh. So the more spiritual you become, guess what? The less flesh you have. Which also correlates to the less trouble that you have. Do you get the picture? The more spiritual you become, 
The stronger you become, the less trouble you have. If you're both so carnal and you're saying, I need this from you. And he's saying, I don't have anything for you. And you're constantly pulling on him. Give me, give me love. Give me attention. Give me time. Give me this. And he's constantly pulling this way and say, I need respect from you. And I need this from you. And I need honor from you. And you're saying, I need. And he's saying, I need. If you're both needing, who's got anything to give? If neither person is given anything, what is there to receive? So what you've got to do is you've got to put yourself in a position. The Bible says give and it'll be given unto you. It's not just talking about money. You give respect, what are you going to get? What's the best thing you can do for a person that's really messed up? If somebody's really, really messed up, what's the best thing you can do for them? Put them down and talk about them? The Bible says you which are spiritual will restore such one with a spirit of meekness and not haughtiness. So if your husband or your wife is missing it, and you are, you think, the more spiritual one, let's find out. Because the more spiritual one will restore the other person. And ladies, that verse in Peter where it says it'll be won by the chaste conversation of the wife, that means lifestyle. Doesn't mean you nagging and you pushing and being a drip drip like Proverbs talks about. It means your lifestyle. So I encourage you to read Corinthians. But there's one other thing that I encourage you to do. There's a book out there that we have in the bookstore. I don't know if we have enough. But it's a book of Brother Hagin's and it's called Growing Up Spiritually. And it talks about the different stages of growth. And most people want to skip chapter 1, the baby stage. Chapter 2, the toddler stage. Chapter 3, the teen stage. Chapter 4, and they want to get straight to the adult stage. But most people are still at the baby stage. Because they're thinking about the baby stage is when all you think about is me and mine. That's my toy. That's my time. That's my this. That's my that. And most people are, are, are in the my stage, which is the baby stage. So I encourage you to get that book and read it. Find out how to grow up spiritually. Because if you're having marriage troubles, it's because of what? Flesh. Paul told us about it. Because of the flesh. So the way to get rid of it is by having spiritual households. Anybody can agree this morning? Or y'all all too sad now to agree? Now, guys, I know that these kind of things are really, really, really touchy. But I also know that over the last three months, I bet you we have had a dozen or two dozen people coming to us wanting to counsel with us about their marriages. And I said, let's just wait. Let's just wait. Y'all hang on. Let's just wait. Because what happens, again, is people tell you all their marriage troubles and they spill their guts to you and then they're too embarrassed to come back because you know what happened in their marriage. They're too embarrassed to show their face around you again. So you guys start putting these things to practice in your lives and we will have the best families and the best relationships of anybody around. Because I didn't make this stuff up. It all came out of here, right? So you guys stand up with me. They're going to sing this song again about love. And then after they do, we'll do a couple of other things.